Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much for standing. I'm going to invite the ushers to do a little bit of setup as I introduce our guest, the main event, primetime. And we have Pastor Jim Doman. I want to put his picture on the screen because this man's story is a miracle story and how God has really redeemed something that the enemy wanted to use and that the enemy had a purpose for. And I am so grateful that we get to have an opportunity to get to hear his testimony, his story. But here's how amazing God has just done a turnaround. You'll hear more. I don't want to steal his thunder. But Pastor Jim, as you come up, he is not only the husband of his wonderful wife. He's also a father of three. Not only a father of three, he is an Ironman athlete. He is a pastor. He has his Masters of Divinity from Azusa Pacific. He also is a writer, speaker, and I like to call you kind of a uh, Christian activist. I mean, you like to stir things (laughs) up in our state, and I like that. We need that. I get his emails. He's also the founder and director of Church United, and this man is just getting started, okay? (laughs) Just getting started, all right? And I'm so thrilled that he's here. Can we give him a warm welcome as we take our seats? Thank you, Pastor Micaiah. It's great to be here at Southridge this morning. Today, we're going to do something different. I uh, read your book about a year ago when it first came out, maybe a year and a half. When did it first come out? In February. So a little, yeah, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. And I did get an advanced copy, but I I cheat. I call, I, I say I read a lot of books, but I use Audible. All right, so I don't know if that's cheating, but I listen to a lot of books. So that, that, as soon as yours came out and available on Audible, that's when I got it. And it is a book that I felt like was filled with hope. I felt like it's a redemption story. And the, my, one of my favorite parts, though, is the forward of the book. Hmm. Because he dedicates it to his parents. And he said two things that I think, if you're a parent or a grandparent in this room, is two parenting hacks. He says this. He said, my parents, they prayed, and then get this, they celebrated Man, that is good. Can you tell us why you wrote that forward just a little bit? Yeah. um, I dedicated it to my parents because I put them through the ringer. And I I, I cannot imagine being a father myself now, treating treating my parents how I did as a kid. When I was a kid, I was a, grown, I was a grown man. I was an adult from ages of 23 to about 28. And... I told my parents they weren't Christians. They didn't love Jesus. They didn't know God because if they did, they would have accepted me in my uh, lifestyle, how I was choosing to live, and my partner, and they refused to do that. And so I just, I was really, really terrible to them. And the book talks a little bit about that. But, you know, my parents, my dad celebrated when I came home. Wow. And I love that you keyed on that because my dad said, when I came home, he said, I, 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 don't, I don't have a farm. I don't like, you know, a prodigal son, if you're familiar with the story of Luke 15. Um, but the prodigal son returns home, and the dad throws his big lavish party, kills the fatted calf. And he goes, we don't have cows. Maybe up here in the Bay Area, you guys have a little bit more farmland than we do in Southern California. 
But he um, said, I want to take you to the finest restaurant in Orange County and celebrate your return. Of course, I got filet mignon and lobster um, since he was footing the bill. But he really just wanted to take the opportunity just to celebrate, praise God, and say, my lost son has come home. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Wow. I think that gives people hope. And this morning, I think maybe you came and you were interested in, in really Pastor Jim's story because he's formerly out of the LGBTQ community. And so can you just really, I mean, we used to have Reader's Digest. We don't have it anymore. Are you able to do a Reader's Digest version? Like a cliff note? Cliff notes. Cliff there notes, we yeah. go. Let's I, do the cliff notes I read notes those in story. high school. Yes, <laughs> there I'm we like, go. I don't want to read cliff the book. Notes. I'm going to read cliff notes. Um, so real briefly, it's a book about hope. It's my journey with Jesus um, and my upbringing to kind of give an understanding of same-sex attraction, root causes, what it stems from. It's not genetic and you're not born with it. Okay, LGBTQ stuff is all environmental and developmental. It talks about that. And my journey through it um, and then coming back to Christ. You saw, I mean, you hear, oh, let me back up. Before coming back to Christ, you hear some of the drama in my life and what I was doing. But then it, 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 it's gonna, you're going to see Jesus through my journey and then how my parents responded. And it's really an encouragement to parents that if you have a child in the LGBTQ lifestyle, that there's hope not to stop praying and don't ever give, don't give up. And at the back of the book, and this is kind of what I really wanted to do, because it's really not about me, church. It's about Jesus, what Jesus has done in my life. But I didn't want to just tell a book about, you know, me, me, me kind of a thing. I, um, tell, I included at the end 19 former LGBTQ people around the globe, black, brown, white, male, and female, who've been radically transformed that have left the lifestyle. And I wanted to tell their stories because this is about the story of Christ. This is a story about Jesus. And as the body of Christ, if we experience, if we know Jesus, he transforms us from the inside out, whatever your sin issue is. I just focus on the sins of LGBTQ in the book. Yes. Maybe that was a little bit longer than a reader's digest version, but that's maybe the book in a nutshell. I told Pastor Jim last night over dinner, I said, hey, as we're talking, I want it to be a conversation that if you had the opportunity to sit down with Pastor Jim and you were just to ask those questions, because I think sometimes culture is having a conversation and the church is having a different conversation. However, our children through uh, education, through social media and through media and entertainment in general are in in step with that cultural conversation. And the church sometimes needs a little bit of help. There used to be a debate about having drums and guitars in the church. Now the debate is how do we engage culture where they're at? Because we are called as in Luke 19, the same passage, it says to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the purpose of Jesus. And that's our heart here. Our heart is not to bash any group of people. Our heart is to say, how do we reach them? So Pastor Jim, please, Please, when, when the spirit leads, just, just go off and don't worry about the time, okay? We're sure. going to be okay. All right. And uh, this book has so much hope. I loved it. And there's so many good parts in it that I'm just uh, amazed by. One of the things you wrote in the book is it says this, while some might celebrate being gay as part of God's design, I oppose it. Now, that's a strong statement. I, I, for one, am in agreement with it. Can you explain why you oppose it? And should the t- church take a clearer stance on the issue? You know, uh, let me be really clear why I oppose it. I follow God. I follow Scripture. This is what Scripture says. This is what I'm following. 
So it's it's e it's easy for people. Oh, you disagree or you oppose homosexuality, lesbianism, transsexual, whatever you know, uh, transgender. Um, no, I, I'm going by God's word and what His word says, and I'm not being deceived by so many. Even the church in our culture today in America, so many denominations, even I think right across the parking lot, have skewed and changed Scripture. I mean, you can read Second Timothy four, and it talks about there'll become a time when men don't put up with sound doctrine that they want to change, you know, from truth to lies that they're going to believe these myths, and we it's happening before our eyes. Never would I would have thought, I used to ask the question as a kid, how could anyone ever be deceived? Now we have a culture that believes a man can be a woman or a woman can become a man, that men, you know, can have sex with one another and have children. Are you kidding me? That's impossible. But we're so twisted and sinful, we are changing the narrative. We're not only changing God's word, but to fit what we think is correct, not what God has said, this is how you're to live. And so... Um, you know, but but I'll, I want to be really clear about this. I don't have any issues with the LGBTQ community, okay? I was there. I lived it. I did it from bars to sex to, I mean, you name it, all over the world. I, I was very, very much involved with that. But I've decided, no, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to change my fallen nature and do what's right. And so if you choose to celebrate it and you want to be gay, more power to you. God says, choose me who you'll serve. God says that in scripture. He, he gives us free will. He gives us free choice. We can choose God or not God. Mm. You can do whatever you want. God's, he loves us so much. He doesn't force us to worship him. But if we choose to worship God, I want to choose to worship God. I want to choose to follow God. Mm. And then I also want to choose to follow God by honoring my wife and my children. As best I know how. Yes. Wow. But and let me be really clear about something because this is another thing I think this gets really conskewed or mis misconstrued. Um, I am a former homosexual. Okay, I used to be gay. Am I still tempted? Hundred and ten percent, absolutely. And church, let me ask you: Who in here is not tempted? I don't know what your sin issues are. I don't know what your weak, your thorn in your flesh is. But how many of you in here are not tempted? We're all tempted. But we get to choose to follow Jesus, or we can follow our own selfish desire. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to choose? Mm -hmm. I choose to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. I choose to follow God, his word in scripture. Mm -hmm. Now, what do I deal with more often? Ironically, my wife goes, I even forget this is your story, your past, because this is not a part of our everyday life. You saw my three kids up there. Mm. I mean, we're exhausted at the end of the day, and I'm like, you know, you're ready to, all right, I'm done with the kids, I need a break, go, you know, you're just, you're up to here with everything. Yes. Yes. But, you know, thank God, it's a new morning every day. Yes. But, you know, a lot of times, and I end up having to do this, this is what my life looks like. Mm. I have to get on my knees at my kid's level and say, will you forgive daddy? Mm. He snapped at you, he yelled at you, he was impatient. Yeah. Yeah. How come you're so nice to everybody out there, daddy, but you come here and you're short with us? And then I have to say, you know, son, daughters, wife, will you forgive daddy for not talking nicely to you or snapping at you? That's probably, it's more what my life is <laughs> consumed with. I love the fact that you take what 
people would say nowadays is really big on I identify as. I, if you set up a LinkedIn account, it's going to ask you a question. What do you identify as? And it's going to put in the description. And you bring out a powerful truth that is a biblical truth. And you talk about how the fact that today people say I am gay, lesbian, trans, pan. And the, the list is so long now. I can't. Infinity. Infinity. Yeah, it's, yeah. Gonna, it's just going to keep on going. And then you, you make this powerful statement and you say, my identity is even as a straight man, my identity is not that I am heterosexual. My identity is that I am in Christ. Christ is our identity. And you say that that's a larger part of the argument. You're trying to identify yourself as something outside of Christ when the Bible says that ye are in Christ and you're complete in him, Colossians 1.12. That you're in Christ and we are complete in the image of Christ and you're making the argument that is a stronger argument instead of going this, oh, let's go culture, let's hit it from uh, historical. You're saying, no, the biblical argument for a Christian is if you're in Christ, your identity, you don't get to decide anymore. Correct. Yeah. Christ is not only our identity, but as, even as you're talking, Pastor Mackay, I'm thinking when we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the yes. new is here. Now, that doesn't mean you don't deal with stuff from your past. That doesn't mean you don't have junk or wounds or, or, or uh, trauma that's happened to you, but you become immediately a new creation. And it's really given me insight as I've, and my Christian walk and journey with Jesus is, you guys are familiar with the verse, I, I think it's Romans, Paul talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, how do you work out a free gift that's been given to you? You don't have to do anything to receive it. You just have to ask for it. How does that work? Well, okay, this has kind of been this mystery I've asked God. And on my journey that's helped unveil or unveil, this is part of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. When you work through the trauma, you work through the issues or whatever that baggage might be. Yes, you're a, you're, you're a new creation. Your identity is in Christ. It's not whom you're sleeping with. Now, on a, kind of on a contrary thing, I love this. The, to the heterosexual community, how come they're not having parades and waving flags? Now, think about this. Why aren't heterosexuals running around going, I sleep with my wife, I sleep with my wife, accept yeah. me, love me, because this is who I am. I'm a heterosexual man. Why aren't we doing this, church? Think about it. Because it's normal. It's biological. It's genetic. This is how, this is how God created humanity. But when humanity skews it, call it the fallen world, the demon, Satan, however you want to do it, when that gets misconstrued and confused, we start believing these other narratives that really are contrary to scripture yeah. and truth. Yeah, wow. You, you bring up, I love that you brought that up, that we're not out there and, and saying, oh yeah, yeah, what am I, I'm married. I, I, I'm faithful to a monogamous relationship with my spouse. You know, it, it, it just doesn't get the same, the same buzz, so to speak. However, one of the things that you bring out is the fact that human sexuality is about obedience and culture has, wants to step outside of that. Now, here's what I look at. When I see somebody out in culture, they're outside of Christ, they're, they're not a Christian. I don't hold them to the same standard that I hold myself to. As a believer, I hold myself to a different standard. And so this is not necessarily the church is pontificating about what the rest of San Jose needs to do. This is Southridge Church huddling the family together saying, family, as believers, we are in obedience. So this means what I look at, am I being 
virtuous in what I allow my eyes to see, what I allow my mind to meditate on. And so I love that you bring this in. This is an obedience issue. How did you get to the point where you realized that our, how we express our sexuality needs to also be brought under obedience to Christ? So I grew up in the church, so I knew what truth was. Great question. Um, So I always knew, I'll say right from wrong. I knew homosexuality was wrong. As a junior higher, you know, in junior high, I, in seventh grade, I cried out to the Lord, reading my word, you know, how come you're not changing these desires? I know it's sinful, but what do you do? You know, you pray, you ask God, and he doesn't change it, so what do you do? Well, I wanted to love and be loved, and God's plan of a heterosexual marriage was not going to happen for me. So I came out at the age of 23 and just said, I want to love and be loved. And I was so desperate. My partner was HIV positive and hepatitis C positive. I didn't care. That's how badly I wanted to love and have this marriage slash relationship. Although marriage for gay men was not legal in California at the time. Um, We pretended that we were. We wore rings like we did. Um, So it was this whole... I want to say this, this false narrative of me trying to make believe the lie that this is who I really was. And it kind of goes back to the identity issue, that my identity is in Christ. It's not in my fallen nature. It's not in my temptation. And I, because I did know God, I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I just kind of put him on the back shelf. And if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, um, he tried to run away from God. I did that. I've been all over the world running, running. And you can't run away from God. Now, I haven't been to outer space yet, but I think he would be there too. Because I've been to like 40 nations and he's he's with me. I can't get rid of him, even when I tried. But, you know, it's part of this. So I knew what I was doing was wrong down deep. Um, And when I decided to give my life back to God and came back, he responded in miraculous ways. And I remember I had a fight with my partner in Palm Springs. That's where we lived in Southern California. And I remember... um, after we got, got in a fight, and it was just a verbal, emotional kind of a fight, I remember I, lo- I heard him tell me, you're going to tell your story someday publicly. And I literally looked up at the ceiling, and I'm like, God, I'm having sex with a man. This, I, that's never going to happen. And, you know, I'm here today. So, but God never left me. But I didn't want anything to do with him. But I'm, as I shared that part of my story, I also want you to know, God still redeems people who don't know him that may not know the difference. And we can't, like you said, we can't hold other people that don't know God, that don't know scripture to another standard they don't even know about. And that's part of our job to love them like Jesus would. You know, and I say, if you do have LGBTQ friends, and if, if you don't, or if you, I'm sure you might work with them, you might have them as a neighbor, start loving on them. Invite them over for dinner. Invite them over to come hang out. If you have a glass of wine, have them over for a glass of wine. Most of them drink. I know, because I was there. Um, but you know what? And not, you may not be used to that, but you know what? Think of not yourself. Think of somebody else. Love them like Jesus would. Sit with them. Take him out to coffee. Or, hey, can I get you lunch today? I'm, going, I'm grabbing a Subway sandwich in your work day. Can I grab you a Subway sandwich? I'm going to be like, you're, a, you're not a Christian. Come on. Because that's not what they've been told. But when they see Jesus in people, you cannot deny that. And I'd encourage that, you know, if make friends or if you have them, just keep loving on them. Because there may be a day that they reach out to you and go, I just broke up or I'm just, you know, I want to take my life or I just don't, I don't want to live anymore. And you can come right around inside them and love them into the kingdom. Wow. 
That was actually one of the questions I want to ask you because I don't think there's a person in here this morning that doesn't either have a relative that's in the LGBT community, coworker, or neighbor. And the heart and the mission of Southridge Church is leading people to find and follow Jesus no matter what their background, no matter what they're involved in. I have as much of a passion to reach the heterosexual drug addict that is living under a bridge somewhere as we do somebody who might be in that community. We want to help them. And so you're giving us some practical tips. Was when you were in that community, were was there some Christians that were reaching out to you? Were there some people that were trying to be an encouragement? What, what was I'm your laughing reaction? because I wanted nothing to do with the church. That's why I'm laughing. It's like, you know, I wanted, and Palm Springs is very far from that. It's, it's either, um, um, it's, it's probably at least half of the population's gay. So, I mean, it, it's just, there's not a lot of church people. The three years I was in with my partner, I, I only actually stepped foot in a church twice because my grandpa died and the founding pastor of my uh, home church died. Beyond that, I actually went to a synagogue once, or a, I think it was a synagogue, but I was still listening to a gay choir at, at some Jewish place in Palm Springs. Um, so there's really not, it's not a church community, but I also knew I didn't want to be convicted church. I didn't want anything to do with church. I did not want to be convicted of my sin because I knew what I was doing was wrong. But I remember I was kind of putting God back here and I was going to pursue what I wanted to do um, and not his will for my life. So I, ironically, my parents would not come. I've invited them to come stay with us. They would not. Um, my Christian friends from college, only two stayed in touch with me. Those that were close, um, ironically, I had one Christian friend that invited, uninvited me to stay at her house. I was traveling through the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and that really broke my heart. I was, she's like, yeah, I talked to my husband. They, we know how you're living, and you can't come stay at our house. And I just, it just it broke my heart. I'm like, really? This is how Christians are? Here, you told me I could stay here, and I'm just, you know, I'm just coming through to spend the night. And anyway, but that, that really was kind of damaging. But my best friend from college and another friend of mine, uh, Michelle, when I came back to the Lord, when this miraculous thing happened, I reached out to them. Why? They actually visited me in my sin. They met my partner. Now, I invited them to spend the night at our home, and they chose not to, which I'm not surprised, but, you know, good for them, um, but, which was probably wise on their, on their, on their uh, um, decision. But they came. They, they saw our art gallery. They came to our home. We had a meal together. They met my partner. And, but I'm sharing this with you because when all of that went to craziness and I lost everything literally overnight, guess who I called? I called the two, my two Christian friends who visited me and loved on me. And actually, before all the drama happened, Michelle had called me about three, six months prior and said, Jim, are you reading? She'd always ask me when she would call, can I pray for you? I'm like, yeah, you can pray for my partner and I that we sell art and, you know, we, you know. And we, we do live really well. We sold pieces of art from $1,000 to $30,000. Um, he was an artist. I ran our, our art gallery. I was a businessman. He did all the artwork. So that's pretty high in art. And that was, you know, over 20 years ago. Um, but Michelle had said, are you reading your Bible? And how can I pray for you? I'm like, no, I'm not going to read the Bible. Are you kidding me? And then, yeah, you can pray like, you know, we have a successful business. And that was kind of typically every time she'd ask. But this one time, I said, Michelle, I'm afraid to read God's word because I'm afraid it will change me. Wow. Wasn't that honest? Wow. Wow. 
But again, she was one of two Christians of all the people I knew that actually reached out to me, met with us, and engaged in a relationship and continued that when my quote-unquote sinful lifestyle. Okay, you said so many good things there. I want to go back to one of the things you said. And that seemed like there were some boundaries that some Christians had set up that while you were in that lifestyle seemed hurtful. So can you talk to us? Because I'm, I'm, I would love some help personally with that. What do you do when somebody wants you to use their pronouns? What do you do when somebody is in that lifestyle and they either A, want to, they're passed through town, they want to stay with you, or they want you to attend, maybe they're getting married, or maybe it's a parent who has a child or um, a loved one. What, in your experience, and what would you say is the best approach? Because our end goal is to help people come back to faith. The Bible says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation means to restore. So if we're trying to restore what sin has broken, then that should be our goal. How do I restore it with those that are far from God? And so what would you say? Because that is a big issue that parents, I think, and I know some that in this room, they struggle with it because their daughter now wants to be called a different name or their son wants to be called a different name. What approach, what wisdom, what would you say to that? Okay, you asked a bunch of questions, so I'm gonna yeah, try sorry. to go through. Yeah, yeah sorry, I'm gonna try to go through them all. So you for, for pronouns. Um, I think they're ridiculous, honestly. Come on, really? That people and like you know, you you get a signature on an email and it says he, she, him, whatever, them, there, and I'm like, good grief, people. Come on, really? Are we this juvenile? I mean, it's really juvenile, and it's just I think it's foolishness. Now. Um, pronouns. You call someone by their biological name slash whatever. So if you were born female, you're a female, period. Okay? If you were born male, you're a male, period. You cannot change that. And I'm going to speak very, very directly and clearly regarding this issue. People that think they should, they're the wrong sex, that is a very serious mental health issue. Church, it is a mental health issue. And if someone is that, I don't want to use unkind words, but if someone is that confused in their mind, they need professional counseling. And you need to know you have to vet the therapist, coach, doctor, PhD, psychiatrist, because most will just pump a narrative. Oh, you think, you think if I'm a male and I'm telling, telling them I think I'm a female, they will start putting you on chemical hormones and they will push you to mutilate and transform your body and you cannot undo any of those things. Now, for the person dealing with this, that might be hard for them to hear that oh, well, I want to be called she, refer to me as she, as a, and, and even though it's, a, it's your son, you need to be a truth bearer. You need to speak truth. Because in this state specifically, they won't get it on social media. They won't get it in the media. They won't get it in public schools. They won't get it from the government. There's nowhere else, almost anywhere, except you and hopefully some people in the church, as much as the church has capitulated to this nonsense, you need to speak truth to them. Now, church, who else spoke truth to everybody he met? Jesus. Jesus. Did Jesus ever lie? Of course not. Why would we, as the church, to be salt and light, lie to people and confirm a narrative that is not true? And if you're that confused, go get a genetic test. Yeah. Genes don't lie. Science doesn't lie. Mm. Mm. 
the God, the creator of science, the God of creator of this, this earth, the planet, the universe, and everything in it does never lies. Jesus met people in their brokenness, and what did he say? Go and sin no more. But he met their need first. He did not lie, and we're not called to lie to people either. So why would we get, get to be a part of this nonsense? But you've been taught, you've been conditioned, oh, but this is loving. No, it is a lie from the pit of hell, and you are helping to destroy another human being. And we're not called to destroy people. We're called to choose life and bring life to people. I think that right there was one of the most helpful things. And church, remember, this is somebody that's not speaking as, oh, grew up straight, white, male. Oh, you have, which nowadays is the most marginal in oh, society. Oh, no, I'm called homophobic. And yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah. this is how ridiculous. How can I possibly be homophobic when I've had sex with I, who knows how many men? And, you know, and then, but, the, but that's what the culture does. They name call because they can't def- they can't fight this narrative, that's why. Because they can't beat God, so we're going to name call, and we're going to do all this, and we're going to bully you and do all this stuff. We're going to shut you down from online. You can't tell your story. I mean, it's, it's all happened to me. But, you know, again, I don't fear God. I don't fear governments. I don't fear the Silicon Valley by any sense of the word. I fear God, and that's whom I follow. Wow, amen, amen. Now, he said something there that maybe you caught, maybe you didn't. Uh, you went up against Vimeo because Vimeo will not post any of his videos. So you have in this book, there's several testimonies. Do you remember, was it 2018, the Pulse nightclub shooter went into Orlando, shot up. It's a gay nightclub and shot it up. You have several testimonies. I think two, Pastor Jim, you helped lead them to Christ or helped them. And they came out of that community. He's got their testimonies. So he'll post their stories. YouTube will take him down. Vimeo will take it down. Any story that he posts that somebody wanted to come out. And this is, culture is doing this by and large because the... Our uh, White House right now currently will say, you can have gender assignment surgery and you can come back from that. And there is, there's not a doctor in the world that'll tell you that he can make, uh, help you come back from that. that, that that's not. It's, it's well, and what they also don't talk about, I have a friend in here, Kevin Witt, um, but he, they never dealt with his trauma and his background. He's former trans, but he, was, he went as Dominique. He was former homosexual, former prostitute, former drag queen. I mean, he checks, literally checks all the boxes. Great friend of mine. But once you start, t- so he went to go see a psychiatrist, and this was like 20, 30 years ago, before this was this massive narrative. The minute you start taking as a male estrogen, it destroys your male reproductive systems. Done. You're toast. Same with females. Okay, in California right now, there's a bill that will become law, I'm almost assured, because it's happened in Washington, I'm, so I'm advising parents, if your child is dealing with any of these sex confusion issues, leave the state. Your child is worth it. Because the minute, because the state will pass a law that the state will then consider you an abusive parent, mother or father, they will seize your child and become property of the state and they will destroy their bodies. Okay, this is where we are in California. It's already happened in Washington. And this is nothing to mess around with. And if the school comes to you or something, you hear this, you just go around with their narrative and go, oh, what's a good clinic I can take my child to? Where do we need to do? Get me the information. You play their little game. Be wise. But you get your child out of the state. Because once it becomes property of the state, there's nothing you can do. And they'll start destroying your child's body physically. I mean, we already do this in the womb to little babies. What's it? I mean, they, they, they don't have a narrative of life. Yeah. 
They don't care about life in here. What difference if it's outside of the womb that we can destroy your bodies? So Kevin, you know, without getting into his story, but he can't do normal male things, married people stuff. And the same with females. When you start taking testosterone and doing things like this, this destroys your reproductive organs and changes your voice and all kinds of stuff. And then you're not able to have children. But they all say, oh, this can be undone. We cannot, it cannot be undone. Our bodies aren't meant to be mutilated internally or externally for that matter. How do we, because I do, uh, if you listen to uh, Patrick Beck Davis, Valuetainment podcaster, and Jim, uh, no, it wasn't Jim. It was Joe Rogan had an interview where they were talking about the state of New Jersey has seen the LGBT community uh, increase by 2,000%, which is historically just impossible. So we're dealing with something that is, and you already said it, is socially engineered. This is a lot of pushing a generation. So how do we help somebody that maybe right now they're sitting here in this chair and they're sitting here and they're saying, but Pastor Jim, I know that people are telling me this is a woman's body, but I really, I feel like a man, and it used to be one day that it was more of a tomboy or if there was a man that was sitting here, maybe a little bit more effeminate. How, what does the church do? How do we steer this? Because in your book, you said you went to camp and you told a Christian counselor, you said, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. And they said a little prayer for you, met with you for 30 minutes and basically said, here's what God's word says. Now, now physician, heal thyself. You know, it was just <laughs> yeah. kind of like, go deal with it on your own. So how do we really wade in there and help somebody? Sure. Because right now their school, their, everything is telling them no, no, you are a boy that now wants to be a woman. You're a woman. Yeah. Or you're a, a, you're a furry. You're a dog. You know, you, you're hearing that? The furries? There, there's all kinds of stuff. They're being told they're animals now. It's, it's crazy. Well, you know, the, on the, <laughs> so on the whole animal conversation, you know, my, my children pretend to be cheetahs and coyotes and they, you know, they, you know it's, called, it's called fantasy, imagination. And they're doing that. So when they do that, you know what we do, Pastor Micaiah? What's up? We lock them in a cage. We put them outside. We make them defecate in, in the front yard. We have them go, I have my son go pee on the neighbor's trees. Mm. And my daughters do that mm. because they think they're a coyote or a cheetah. Mm. We feed them raw meat. You guys are laughing. That's absolutely absurd. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. They're children. They're make-believing. They're playing. Mm -hmm. But my, my son's not a coyote. My daughter's not a cheetah. Yeah. My youngest isn't a bear. Mm -hmm. Come on. But we have a culture that is placated, is playing into this and saying, you must be a wild animal. I, I, my my uh, home pastor's son said, wait a minute. It's hunting season. If one of the kids in the classroom identifies as a deer, can I, sh can I shoot him? Think about that. Why not? They identified as a deer. I'm, I'll get my rifle. I'll shoot you. This is how ridiculous this is. But we've got this liberal agenda narrative that's all over, and what's happening, and, and I talked a little bit about this, I don't even have social media on my phone. You know why? I can't, I, can't, I can't be victorious with my mind with the images. They know where your weaknesses are, and they put images that are inappropriate constantly. So I took them off. I can't, I can't be victorious, and I don't want to look at the stuff they're putting in my face. Think of your child on those devices, and they're put, pumping in all this stuff all day long, and you're getting affirmed and likes, and hey, wait, maybe this is really me. This is what, and then people begin to hold on to that because it's affirming. They may not be getting that love, that attention from mom and dad or from friends or wherever, but now you're somebody, and this, again, it plays into that. 
you had asked some other questions too about how would you respond, uh, yes, about the pronouns, how would you respond about like a gay wedding and you know, what, what would you do on that? So the book, I talk about that as well and my quick advice is no, don't go to a gay, there's no such thing as a gay wedding, okay? Marriage, a wedding, is a religious institution, period. It's biblical. And this is, this, is through, this is through thousands of years of history. And if you look at every major religion, it's always between a man and a woman, period. Yeah. Okay? Now, people skewed that over centuries and things like that, but for all practical purposes. But so now we come back to this, okay, we've arrived, and well, wait a minute. Remember, we're not f waving flags and you know, running around the heterosexuals because the LGBTQ community wants what you have and wants to make it their own. So now what our narrative, what our culture has done is we've taken a, a Christian true principle and morphed it into something that's sinful and not truthful. You can't, there's no such thing as gay marriage. It doesn't happen. Now, if the, if the state of California wants to call it a civil union for what, fine. That's a government thing. That's not a God thing. This, this is the spiritual union. When a man unites with a woman, the two become one flesh. And biblically, we look at this scripturally, look at the Bible, and we see the metaphor of marriage always. And it's always, guess what, church? And this is great theology. It's only ever between a man and a woman. Christ as the male, the church as the female. Christ being the groom, the church being the bride. In the beginning, God created Adam and Steve, right? No, Adam and Eve. Eve didn't go down to the in vitro uh, clinic with her lesbian partner and get knocked up with, with uh, Adam's sperm. No. Scripture only shares man and woman experience all throughout. And I just share this because I think we're so confused, even the church. Church. We see stories in the Old Testament. David commits adultery, but yet he gets restored. We see Hosea uh, and Gomer. Gomer was a prostitute, a woman of harlotry. God says, go marry her. She cheats on him, and God says, take her back. It's a male and a female relationship. John the Baptist, okay, I think we know he got beheaded, but you know why? He called out the most powerful, most paranoid ruler, probably wealthiest ruler ever in known, in known history, was King Herod. And I saw some of his palaces and how paranoid he was and his power and influence and what he did. But he was so freaked out anyway. But he, he cut off John the Baptist's head. Why? He called them out on the sin of adultery, a heterosexual sin. This godly prophet didn't fear God, uh, fear God and not King Herod and not others, but he said the woman that, you know, your sleep is not your wife. It, it's adultery. And then what I mentioned already in Revelation, you know, see when the church and the, the, the bride and the groom come together. So we only see a man-woman relationship with marriage ever in Scripture. So all these intellectual net jobs that tell you different and say, well, this is really wasn't once, this isn't translated, you don't know the Hebrew, you don't know the Greek, that's all nonsense foolishness. Because in Scripture, it never contradicts itself. In the micro, meaning verse by verse, or the macro, the entire, entire biblical narrative, it never changes. It's always a man and a woman for marriage. Anyway, that's a long-winded explanation. So I would advise do not go to a wedding of anything that's not between a man and a woman because it's not truthful. 
and then you are supporting. Again, remember, now you're speaking lies and not being truthful. Now, if you want, I don't think there's an issue. If you want to go celebrate or you want to join, and they say come to the reception or whatever, you want to go to an event, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I, I would encourage that. I don't think that's wrong. Um, I, it's part of, hey, how, you know, Jesus ate with sinners. Let's do this. But Jesus wasn't marrying, marrying gay men. Okay. He didn't talk about it. He actually only really specifically spoke about adultery, which is a lot more, a lot more prevalent than LGBTQ sins. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's kind of helpful. And then you said about boundaries. I love, and boundaries are so important. My parents had really good boundaries for me. And I told you in a church, I was, I was ter- I treated them awfully. You can hear, you can read some of that if you want to hear more of those stories. But I, they put very strict boundaries. Your partner can't come home you know, Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving's coming up. You, you cannot bring your partner home for those holidays. Like, what? You're Christians, aren't you? And I went nuts on them. No, this is, we, we, we don't honor that. We're not honoring your relationship with him. But you, son, are always welcome to come. You can come to Christmas. You can come to Thanksgiving. But you can't bring your partner. You know, it was the same thing they did with my parents. If my parents took one of my siblings on vacation, they couldn't take their boyfriend and girlfriend and sleep in the same room or sleep, you know, that they're not going to do that. Yeah. But no, you can't, but you're actively living in sin. No, you cannot have your partner be a part of our family because he's not. Well, I'll tell you one thing. When I came back to the Lord, I had a safe home to come back to. I mean, I had mentioned briefly, I lost everything. I had no place to go. I was more or less homeless. And my parents said, come back home at the age of 28. The grown man, I moved back home. Yes. But I had a safe home sanctuary to go home to and a mom and a dad that loved me and took me in and literally paid my minimums on my credit card bill so I wasn't totally bankrupt Um, and they journeyed with me and yet God used that to heal and mend the relationship between my dad and I which a lot of I'll just say a lot of LGBTQ issues stem from father-child relationships or lack thereof or abuse or you name it. There's a, a, and when you, when you read these other 19 stories, yes. that same theme is all in through there. We all kind of carry the same similar woundedness, I'd share. So it kind of stems back from what we call the fatherless generation or a father wound. Okay, so that is a large part. And especially we live in a culture now that seems to get, if you are a dad in the Silicon Valley, the amount of effort and time, you, you're pulled away from home a lot and the temptation to be away from home. Same thing with the, the wife, to be pulled away. So what would you say to parents to say, here when your children are young, what would you say... Uh, I have my son Austin, my son Kane. What would you say to me about how I interact with my boys and how I interact with my daughter? What would you in, in, oh, great. counsel us? So I talk about this a little bit in the book too, raising kids. And it might seem funny in a former homosexual, but I'm very just, I'll just say, I wanted to take what was best from my parents as my wife did from hers. Mm-hmm. And we've implemented that into raising our own kids. Mm-hmm. And dads, you play, I'm trying to look at all the men in here you play such a vital, critical role in your child's development. I don't even think we realize how important your role is as the protector, as a provider, and what that looks like. Um, you know, my kids go, Daddy, you, you know, you ask my kids, why does, your, why does Daddy have muscles to protect us, you know, and, uh, and to beat up Riker. <laughs> That's what I tell them, to beat up my son, and uh, jokingly, of course. But, you know, um, 
But that's how we roughhouse and we play. And even when, you know, I was reading a, a psychologist once and, you know, when, and this is so cool. My daughters love it. When I get home, they're like, Daddy, can you play rough? Play rough with us. So we rough and roll, play around. And, you know, someone's always bound to get hurt. Someone gets popped with the line elbow. One kid hits another kid in the face. They start crying. But you know what they're taught is empathy and kindness and caring. They see Daddy wrestling and playing rough. And then we have to stop and show kindness and a tender heart because somebody he's hurt. No, he's not a wimp or they're not, you know, wimpy girls. No, they're hurt. We come alongside. We love them. We let them know they're cared for. That teaches them later in life how to respond to life's issues when bad things happen and how to be loving and caring and sensitive yet and strong and brave when you need to be courageous. Though All these little things that you just think, this is just, dad, you know, I'm fun daddy and my wife's mama milk. That's what our kids call us, mama milk and fun daddy. But no, this is what helps develop children and build their, their, their psyche and I mean, all kinds of things. And you may not even realize as dads you're doing this, let alone like I take my daughters on daddy-daughter dates mm. or father-daughter dances. You know, um, we had one last year, and I tell you, they talked about it for weeks, and they were so excited to get dressed up. And, you know, they got all dressed up to go to the daddy-daughter dance, and I took both my daughters and... I go, I'm like, we'll go anywhere. Where do you guys want to go? And they go, Dairy Queen. Ugh. I'm like, that's, I mean, the ice cream's good, but the burgers and fries, it's got to be the, some of the worst out there. But that's where they wanted to go was Dairy Queen. So we found a Dairy Queen. We went and, you know, they got their blizzards and all that stuff. But, you know, but when you do that kind of stuff, you build that, they learn what it, how a dad respects a young lady and that they want to date men that are going to treat them like their dad does. And if there's men that aren't treating them like their dad does, they're going to know, I don't want anything to do with you. But guess what, church? I don't have to tell my daughters that because they're, they're going to date men like me. And we also pray for that over them. Yes. And my son, you know, is, and similar, we'll do daddy-son uh, adventures. I yes. mean, he's with me on this trip. Right. And, yes. you know, we went hiking yesterday and went out in the wilderness and did some fun stuff. And, uh, but you play such a critical role in their development. And if they're past that age, you might be a grandpa. My, like what my parents were doing, which I, I just found this out and I loved it. They said, you know, I, I think they realized they may not have invested in the sex talks and things like that with us as kids. I'm a, I've got a younger brother and a younger sister. But they're now doing that with their grandchildren. They're taking them out one-on-one -on -one and, hey, how's your purity doing? How's your relationship with your girlfriend or with your boyfriend? And I'm like, wow, mom and dad, that's awesome. Obviously, age-appropriate. I've got nieces and nephews who are, you know, college and post-college. But that they are now taking the time to pour back into the younger generation and have some of those talks maybe their parents might have missed yes. and or maybe, you know, just didn't get hit. But they want to be another set of hands on raising the, the, their grandchildren. Yes. And, I, and I'm like, I love that. That's yes. fantastic. Yes. So, but again, I talk about this in the book, practical ways dads mm -hmm. can pour into their yes. kids if they're dealing with this. And if they're not, you can still pour into it, pour in your child yes. um, it, just for healthy development and things like that. How important is the, what we would call the birds and the bees talk with our children? And if we have children that are still uh, at home, uh, what's too early? What's too late? Should we start it? Should we avoid it? Great question. It's never too early. Um, anyone see What is a Woman by Matthew Walsh? He did What is a Woman. Okay, you guys yes. back there. Awesome. Um, I saw that. I, 
already know what's going on, so it kind of just makes me go bananas. But I he, he did a really good job of it. UCLA, PhD, a pedigree that's endless, okay? Could not tell him what a woman it was. Mm. At the time, my youngest daughter was three. Mm -hmm. Honey, what's a woman? A girl has a vagina. A boy has a peanut. And she couldn't say the word penis, but, you know, has a peanut. My three-year-old. First time at Southridge Church. So yeah. uh, welcome to church, y'all. I mean, yeah, but this is good. But my three-year-old you know? could tell you anatomically what the difference is. Yeah. But a, a UCLA PhD idiot? I, he's an idiot. Could not tell you what a woman is. And ask a liberal today. They can't tell you what a woman is. They bear children. They have children. They breastfeed. They're amazing. They're incredible. They're beautiful. They keep men around so we don't go crazy for crying out loud. You know what I'm saying? They're our helpmate. Yeah. Women are awesome. They're incredible. Yeah. Find a liberal who will even say that. They can't. They won't. Mm. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Yeah. Let alone, you know, men, what they think of men. Yeah. Dude, men are awesome. Men are needed to protect, to provide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially all the crazy stuff that's going around here. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my word. Anyway, that's a whole but other conversation. they call conversation. it progress, though. Yeah, what's that? They, they call that progress. progress. Yeah. Crimes off the chart. There's yes. people, even my son's like, who are all these people? Why are there, he goes, why are there grown men under the bridges here? Yeah. That was an interesting conversation. Yeah. It, it's, it's so wild. I'm going to invite the worship team. This is so good. I want to continue this conversation as the worship team prepares for the um, uh, close of our service. I want you to come back tonight. And as we kind of wrap things up, I do want to end this on a really a hopeful moment. And like I said, folks, would you stop by and would you pick up Jim's book? It's $5. The church is going to absorb the, the main cost of it. But I want to resource you. Now, here's what I heard. I heard a lot of people, especially guys we don't read. And here's what I would just encourage you to do. Just get the book and just start with the page. And this will help you with several things because the church can come at uh, a conversation like this. And people would say, well, the church, you don't ever have any interactions with anybody from that community. That's not true. Uh, our church, especially here at Southridge, you'd be surprised the amount of people that would be in that community, that they do feel welcome. They come here, their lives get restored and transformed here. And I honestly am looking at what I would call a trophy of grace of what God can do when somebody says, I'm going to be surrendered. That's our series now to what God would have. And I want God's will. And here's the thing, Jim, do you think if you would have stayed in that LGBT lifestyle, do you think your life would be this good? Oh, absolutely not. Oh, I I so wanted, my, my heart's desire was to be married and have kids. I wanted to be a dad. And, you know, that's, you know, what I think most people dream about or think about as a kid. But then when you have something like you're attracted to your own sex, how, how do you deal with that? What do you, how do you get over that? How do you get through that? What does that look like? And I guess my message, my hope, that change is possible. You don't, you, even if you, whatever your struggle, and you may not deal with this, that's fine, but change is whatever the issue is. Christ can change you. God can change you. Yes. But you have to be willing to say, yes, change me, Lord. Yes. Like, here I am. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's living hell to living in beauty in heaven on earth. And I feel like I get a taste of heaven. I didn't have to wait to heaven to get restored, that I get to live a little of the restoration here on earth, being a dad and a husband and kids and, 
Yeah, they're a lot of work. <laughs> and you're tired at the end of the day, but you know what? It's it's the best. Yes. I, you know, my folks took my kids one night. It was just Amanda and I, and we had a real nice, quiet dinner. We got to actually have a conversation. Those of you who have kids, you know what I'm talking about, without interruption. But I woke up the next morning, and I go, this is boring. This is too quiet. I'm like, my wife and I were reading or whatever, and I'm just like, I miss my kids. I was ready for them to come back. I like the life, the energy, and, you know, just the ability to live as God has asked us and designed us to live. But if I may real quick, if anyone wants to get a little prayer magnet, you get a picture of our family uh, for Church United, that ministry that I, um, Pastor Micaiah spoke about. And I have Yo Tengo uh, No Es uh, Uner. Uh, I wanted to copy in Spanish. If you're a Spanish speaker and want to get a copy of that, uh, you can let me know and I'll make sure I get you that copy. But it is available in Spanish as well. And if you need it in Spanish, you can order it on the website. Oh, I love that. I love that. I have so many questions I want to ask you. And the reason I asked that question is because in the book you talk about being deeply suicidal and that you were surprised how many times you didn't take your life, honestly. And so I've got to ask you, because I think there are people that are wondering, maybe they're tempted, maybe somebody's struggling with that lifestyle, maybe somebody is viewing things, exploring things. Is it worth it following God? Oh, 100%. I, um, suicide's a real thing. And um, the suicidal thoughts, tendencies, or whatever, that's super, super real and very, very serious. And by the way, suicides are off the charts in America since COVID. And in the LGBTQ community, it's almost double. And here you've got this world that says, this is who you are. And it's like, why are you so miserable? Why are you all on, on antidepressants and anti-anxiety and suicidal and all this stuff? Because it's not normal. It's not normal, church. But we just keep all this pressure and people don't realize what this does to you. And on the flip side is, you know, and I don't deal with mental health issues. That's not, that's not one of my issues. But yet to be at that point when you're dealing with all this stuff and not, I mean, it's, it's very scary. It's very real. But what God has done and redeemed and restored. And I've even got, um, oh, I don't know if Pastor Elizabeth is in my book. But I know she was a former lesbian, psychotic, all, all, all different types of meds. She came to the Lord. She's off all that stuff. I mean, she was an atheist, lesbian. I mean, she checked all the boxes too. And now that she's been set free, she's not, she's not, she doesn't have mental health issues anymore. Now, I'm not saying you come to know Jesus and everything makes you perfect. You hear me? I'm not saying that. But these are just some of the stories, mine personally, and, and others that I know, that how when we get set free, this stuff goes to this wayside. And again, remember, we're, we're our identities in Christ, not in whom we're having sex with, but it's, it's our identities in Christ. John 10 says this, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The Greek word is the word zoe. It means life over life. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, man, make the switch and go down with culture and the world is pushing. That really looks like there's life there. We just heard from a man who said there was not life there. It was dead. It almost led him to take his own life as it's led countless. And the church, maybe you're feeling like, well, maybe because we're standing up, we're having these conversations, it's pushing them over the edge. No, we've got to speak truth. 
because here's what happens. This is what's so powerful, what Pastor Jim has been mentioning, is that the truth will make you free. And who is the father of lies? Who's the father of lies? Satan. Who's the father of truth? It's God. So if there's lies out there, the church has to expose it and has to shine a light. And it doesn't mean that we're these horrible people. I listened to Alistair Begg this past week and he was talking and he said, look, I can't accept you because they want acceptance and affirmation. He said, because this book doesn't allow me to do that. And there are scriptures on it. You can go to James, or excuse me, Romans chapter number one. You can go to Timothy, you can go to Titus where it talks about these things. He says, because as a Christian, I can't affirm you, but then also as a Christian, I can't hate you. We cannot hate. They're not an enemy. They're an opportunity that need the love of Jesus. So this morning, I am trying to say, church, we believe that marriage was between one biological man, one biological woman for a covenant relationship for one lifetime. But because that is our biblical stand, it doesn't mean that we are hateful, that we are angry, that we are upset. But at Southridge, we believe the truth because we do know that this is healthy for a society, for a relationship, and for a Christian community. Pastor Jim travels all over the country. He's got Church United. He's got amazing vision. He's in Washington, D.C. He's in Sacramento. He's trying to help protect families. But one thing he told me yesterday is the fact that when churches open the door to just accepting and believing everything, he said those churches end up closing because that's not a biblical church. They're not following the truth. This church, we are guided by this book right here. And you may say, Pastor Mackay, you are narrow. I know it seems narrow. But whenever I land in a plane or fly in a plane, I'm so glad that that Southwest pilot doesn't say, I have the San Jose airport runway off to my left and I got the 101 freeway off to my right. Hmm, I feel like taking the freeway to land this plane today. But isn't that runway narrow? I'm thankful he likes that narrow runway because that's where it's going to save our life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, broad is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. And few there be that find it. Church, we are set in the most important place. I know Pastor Jim said, move, don't move. Don't move. Stay in California. Don't leave. I'm not giving up on this state. I'm all in. I'm invested. I'm not going nowhere. You said, but you sold your house. I know, I'm, I'm here. I believe we can change this city. I meet with the mayor. I meet with Seattle council members. I, we're here. We're, we're going to change San Jose. Do you, do you realize that? This is Amen. just the beginning of what God has called Southridge Church to do. This is just the beginning of what we're a part of. We're not just going to sit here and watch our children get swept up into something. We're saying, you know what, God? You've got a purpose. We're going to reach boys and girls. We're going to reach people that are out of the community. And I want to be able to say, Pastor Jim, we've got more people that have come to faith because of your testimony and your books. And we're not going to give up the fight. We're not getting up the, off the wall. We have a job to do right here in San Jose. And I love it. I love a challenge. We know how to bloom where we are potted. You put us in a parking lot in COVID, no problem. We'll do a parking lot church during COVID. 
You put us in a hotel with rats, man, we, we will win the rats to Jesus. It's okay. We're there. Wherever you put us, you put us in a back room, an office, we're there. You put us in a field, we are there. We are a church that knows how to bloom where we are potted because we have a vision to change San Jose. And I'm excited that you're here. And Richard's right here is a miracle to the saving power of the gospel to change hearts and lives. So we got to hear in a powerful, powerful testimony. But tonight, you come back because I'm going to turn Pastor Jim loose, okay? All right? And his 56-inch pythons that he's got going on. About just going to turn them loose, man. I'm not going to give him a little headset. He says, don't give me a headset. Give me a handheld mic, you know? And so you come back this evening. And you say, what time this evening? Is it 5.30 or 6? Anybody remember? Selena, it's 5.30 or 6? 5.30. Come back tonight at 5.30. Thank you. Pastor's wife knows everything. She runs it. All right. Can we stand? I still believe in a service like this, Jesus can speak. And in a moment, I'm going to ask Pastor Jim to pray for us, pray over us. But if you say, you know what, today I'm surrendering to Jesus, you can put that on that connect card. You say, I need to join a life group. Stop by, grab a book, have Pastor Jim sign his book. And then after he uh, prays, Selena's going to close out in announcements. And then we're going to be in the back. And I want you to meet this man. I want you to talk to him. But here's the thing. we got a lot of people that want to talk to him. So it make 30 seconds, 60 seconds, you know, and, and let everybody talk. And you can hang around after because sometimes some of us want to have a 30-minute conversation. And uh, he'll give you all the details where you can follow up. And he'll be back in February doing something at Calvary Chapel and things like that. But uh, Pastor Jim, why don't you close this out in prayer? We'd love to. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for Southridge, Lord. I praise you and thank you for Pastor Micaiah and his leadership of this church. Lord, I praise you that he was a pastor that stood open, even though he was kicked out of places during COVID and did not forsake you or gathering and bringing your people together. And I love men like him who know how to lead in and when the government is doing nonsense things, Lord, that he did what was right and what was good. Lord, I praise you for Southridge, their heart and their passion for San Jose. Lord, I pray you'd use your body, your people here that would help transform this Silicon Valley for Christ. San Jose and beyond, and beyond, Lord, I believe, Lord, that you will, will continue to do a mighty work, not only in San Jose, but in California, and that this would be the state that would lead a revival and a, an awakening we've never seen before in history to, to save not only America, but the rest of the world, Lord, and that's only going to come through you, your Holy Spirit, and your Son, Jesus. So, Lord, I pray your blessing over Southridge Church. I love this community, these people, Lord, and I pray that we would be Jesus with skin on to a lost and dying world wherever we go. In the all-powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today, and a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.